And one thing I can promise you for sure is when you hook your first tarpon, your heart's going to beat faster than it did the first time you ever kissed a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Just because you're sitting in the seat waiting doesn't mean that you're, you know, sitting there just eating a sandwich or filing your fingernails. No, no. And you're not looking for fish. You're not fooling with your gear. When you break them off, you get them to eat and get them to jump, you've gotten the heart out of the watermelon right there. What are three things we should expect when we are when you're on your first tarpon trip? Well, you can expect that to be a really good learning experience. You're going to learn a lot. Uh, you're going to have to enjoy the surroundings and everything that's going on besides just the fish. That, you need to expect that. You're going to, have to, you're going to have some frustration. There's no way around that. You don't do this for any length of time without getting frustrated at some point. So that's just part of it. And one thing I can promise you for sure is when you hook your first tarpon, your heart's going to beat faster than it did the first time you ever kissed a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you that for a fact. Uh, I I have hooked one, and I believe you're right. <laughs> uh, I haven't still, I've said this for two years now, I still haven't gotten my first one yet. Haven't uh, haven't got even got to the leader, but I did hook one for a split second. And uh, I guess I was amped up for about probably about an hour, honestly. You know, yeah. I could still fish, but it sure wasn't pretty for the first yeah. 30 minutes. You're still shaking. Yeah. And I, that's another thing I want to touch on right away. I know everybody, when they first start, they want to land a fish, get a picture. That's just natural. Yeah. I did. Everybody does. But don't get upset if you break the fish off. As a matter of fact, after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm done. Right. I want that fish to live. I want You fight a fish as long as it takes to get it to the boat, it puts a lot of stress on the, on that big fish. Sometimes it kills it. And a lot of times, uh, if there's sharks in the area, uh, it's easy prey for that shark. So you spend an hour fighting that fish, you're going to lay in the boat for the next 30 <laughs> minutes catching your breath and uh, trying to recover. You could be looking for another fish. Right. You know, and to me, the, the skill in this is casting and getting that tarpon to eat your fly. That's the thrill of it. Uh, and that jump, the first jumps and the first one or two runs, and then it gets to be drudgery. Yeah. It really does. And, it's you know, it, it takes a skill to fight a fish to get it to the boat without breaking it off, and that's that's fine. But after, don't don't be upset when you break them off. You get them to eat and get them to jump, you've gotten the heart out of the watermelon right there. <laughs> heart out of the watermelon. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I've, I would love to have that shot. I don't have to put my hands on the leader. I'd like to, but I'd love to have that shot with me in the front front of the boat and the fish jumping out somewhere right. you know i think i think that would be a great oh, picture right there that's right and and after you do that after you so many pictures how many more pictures do you need i mean it's the same fish right that's like we used to go skiing every year would you take pictures no unless i got a new ski outfit <laughs> i mean <laughs> how do right. you know you know it's the same same mountain same snow got yeah. sunglasses on right <laughs> <laughs> got a box full of these right <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, today we're in the rod shop with Don Jackson. 
You're listening to the Southeastern Fly Podcast. Thanks for stopping in and giving us a listen. Feel free to share this with your friends and your fishing partners. Subscribe or slash follow so you'll be the first to know when the episode drops. Remember, we have the podcast by Southeastern Fly Facebook group. They help help us with the directions of the question. They've had input on each one of these questions that we're going to talk to Don about today. If you find value in the podcast, which I hope you do, please drop by the Southeastern Fly dot com slash store we've got some merch out there explore the merch that makes this podcast go the merch is how we support the podcast we've got hats and t-shirts and decals and uh, we've got a new turbidity t-shirt out there and if you listen to the uh, tailwater episode the first tailwaters episode in 2021 this year uh, you'll know exactly what we're talking about there we've got some southeastern fly dry fly hats we've got the morning run skiffs flat t-shirt it's it's in the store now uh we've got some decals like the more fly fishing less meeting decals for you folks that uh sit in the office all day and wonder what why you're not on the water but uh thanks to all the folks that have already made some purchases and supported this show through the store don we've got a lot of great people that listen and help with the direction and it makes my preparation so much easier and the feedback that we're getting is that the the shows are getting better and better, and I hope that's the case. I appreciate you inviting us into the rod shop today. We're we're in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Uh, made a little short road trip, and I've I've met Don. I'm going to date it, but probably ten or fifteen years ago, uh, Rhonda Page and Tim's Flies and Lies was doing. I believe that's the one that we were at. Was her one of her meetings down here with the Tullahoma group, and uh, and I think we met there, and we were. We were close to Tim's Fort State Park. That's coming back to me now. We talked about this earlier. That was. It was a clubhouse. Yep, out that's there. it. One of the guys had lived in a real nice uh, gated neighborhood there, uh-huh. and they had a clubhouse with a pool. And I think we did out there and did some little uh, roll casting. Yep, that, and we did some knots. We did a lot of things. Yeah. That yeah, that's so we were we were talking about that earlier, and neither one of us could really remember. I guess we're both short on memory a little bit. I know I am. <laughs> short on a lot of things. <laughs> Oh, Don, uh, Don is a longtime tarpon and bonefish angler. He's fished with guides. He's done a share of self-guided trips for tarpon as well. So got a couple of different perspectives there, and I think both are valuable. And if you were sitting where I'm sitting, there's a lot of rod stuff here, and there's a ton of reels. There's a tarpon on the wall. And there's a redfish on the wall. Uh, just a really cool, this would be a great clubhouse for speaking of clubhouses. Uh, I'll tell you how we got together. Don and I got together here is I was, Rhonda was running a shuttle front for me and I was talking about the podcast and I said, who would you want to hear? And she said, I, I think Don would be great. And I kept thinking, I know that name. And then the more, longer we talked, the longer I said, okay, I remember him from somewhere. But uh, so, so we can thank Rhonda for this. And, and uh, so it's, it's things like that, that she just asked the question. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in front of each other and <laughs> it, it's been pretty cool, but please welcome to the podcast. Don Jackson. Don, thanks for letting us come out. My pleasure. Now we understand and have a perspective on three things, and I I really like the heart beating thing because that is so true. <laughs> but uh, Stephen asked, Don, where all do you and have you fished for tarpon, and what's your most memorable tarpon? Well, uh, 99% of my tarpon fishing has been down in the lower keys, from generally from Bay of Honda down to Sugarloaf in that area right there it's about a 15 mile stretch and i've got friends i've met and kept for years down there i've got a guide the guide that i started with was tom white who was one of the people that helped originate the fff 
He was uh, oh, worked okay. for Loomis out in uh, Woodland, Washington, for years, and he eventually moved to to the Keys when Loomis sold out and um, started guiding. And he he wrote the test, helped write the test for the certification oh. program. So myself and a friend of mine at the time, we went down and started fishing with Tom, and he he was a unbelievable caster and we would talk all day long about he liked talking about the fff the test and all this kind of stuff and i didn't realize all this time he was feeding me information to pass that test was he really yeah oh so one day we got through fishing and he said come up here i got something i want you to do and we went pulled up to his he lived in a double wide right there at seven mile bridge and uh pulled in came out and put a a test down said i want you to take this test i said he said just take it I want you to take it, 25 bucks and, you know, whatever is part of the deal. And uh, took it and made 100 on it. Everything on that test was things that we had talked about and discussed. Uh, I can't remember them all right now, but at the time, it was fresh in my mind, and it was really great. But we, we fished and fished and fished, and I fished with him for about three years. And uh, he ended up having a brain aneurysm, and then he passed away shortly after that but in, in subsequent years i went down and moved in with him for about 10 days and we went out on the boat every day and worked on casting worked on this cast worked on that cast and one day he came in a little early and he said come on you're ready and we drove down to big pine he introduced me to gordy hill who was on the board of governors to the fff and he was qualified to give you your exam talk about your heart beating fast <laughs> it really was but he was so nice he made me at ease sat down we talked things and went through the test and took i don't know a couple hours we had to won't go into the details but it takes it's a it's a pretty lengthy thing and at the end he looked up and shook my hand and said oh man i was so excited where he lived right down at the end of the street there was a pizza place and a beer joint that's the first place i stopped <laughs> <laughs> celebrate <laughs> and i wasn't eating pizza i'll tell you that <laughs> so uh it, it was such a and, and gordy and i have been friends ever since then i go see him and talk to him and we discuss casting and we talk about rods he's just such a wealth of information can't tell you what all i've learned from him he's i learn something every time we talk that's the way this is the whole ev- oh. everything is that way it, it really is it really is it really is and then after tom i started fishing with a gentleman named bruce chard and he and i've gotten to be really really good friends he was so much help to me especially after i bought a flats boat and came down I'd, I'd go down and stay a month to six weeks and we'd go fishing and fish some days with bruce and most of the days, obviously, we take my boat. But a lot of guides won't, if they know you got a flats boat, most of them won't even take you out. And they sure are not going to show you their good spots. But Bruce was, uh, I, I learned something every conversation that we had about the tides, about the wind, about moon phase, where they're going to be today. If he knew I was going out in the mornings early, he'd give me a call. Hey, go back towards the this morning. And then by noon, said, leave and come back out front. They won't, they won't be any fish in the backcountry. You know, that's just an example, right, but right. that's how good a guy he was. So he knew where they would move. Oh. <laughs> and when they would be where I, they were going to be. I, it was it was unbelievable. So what's your most memorable tarpon? The most memorable was the first one I ever caught with Bruce, which was the first one I ever caught. Okay. It may have been the first, first day we ever went out together. It was overcast, and if you know anything about sight fishing and saltwater, right. you've got to have sun. 
You yeah. can't see the fish. So he knew a spot out in the back country where there was a huge, gosh, size of two football fields of white sand. We parked right in the middle. The reason being, when the fish came off the greenish water onto that sand, you could see them. So we sat there for 45 minutes or so, and all of a sudden the sun came out, and there they were. You could just see them. They were right at the edge of that sand. They don't like real bright bottoms, generally. And there they were. And so, man, I was my heart, like I said, is beating so fast. Managed somehow to get a fly in front of them. Fish ate the fly, and in my excitement, wasn't watching my fly line, and a water line came up oh. and went through and pulled the tip section of off my rod right off. And here goes the tarpon off my first tarpon, and it's got <laughs> it's got a water fly line in my tip <laughs> with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man so bruce jumps down cranks the motor and we take off he said give me your rod and get back there and get some slack we managed to get up and get enough slack that he pulled in got that line untangled put the rod tip back in came back handed me my rod we chased that fish down and i landed it no kidding yeah <laughs> i could not believe i was so excited i couldn't i couldn't breathe yeah it was just my first tarpon and after everything that happened and I think we bonded right right there, and we've been fishing together ever since. Yeah. Talk about somebody working hard, oh. trying to make sure that you have a, a good experience or, or whatever, trying to make sure that they oh. they can say at the end he, of the day he caught one or whatever. You can't believe how hard he works pushing that, pushing that boat all day, nonstop. One time, I had a tarpon eat, and I couldn't come tight to him. Fish kept swimming towards me, swimming right. towards me. I couldn't get the line in. I thought, oh, my God. Bruce jumps off the platform and jumps on the boat. Yeah. Jumps up and down, bam, bam. Well, it scared the fish turned. And when he did, man, wham, you know, <laughs> here we go. Automatic hooks. Yeah. Out. Oh, it, it's just, uh, we've had so much fun together. And he's taught me practically everything I know about tarpon fishing. It's, so it's good to have a guide like that or somebody that's aware like that to make sure that you get on the fish. And if your tip comes off, somebody that knows what to do to have the best shot at giving you the experience to catch that fish. But also, I think the next thing, that the next question that was asked, I think it kind of rolls us right into this next question, Don. Dan and Al both asked a piece of this question, so I kind of combined it a little bit. But on a guided trip with a friend, what are the roles that each angler plays? Because two anglers on the boat, one of them is fishing all the time. But just because you're sitting in the seat waiting doesn't mean that you're, you know, sitting there just eating a sandwich or You've got filing to, your fingernails. No, no. And you're not and you're not looking for fish and you're not fooling with your gear. That's a, a really important question and it and the non fishing person at that time has a almost as important part in catching that fish as you do with a rod in your hand. His job, in my opinion, now this is all everything just from my point of view. This isn't carved in stone, nothing is, but I'm telling you from my experience, bone fishing and tarpon fishing, if that guy's not watching your fly line, you're gonna be mad at him before the day's over. <laughs> That's a fact. You know, uh <laughs> because there's so much you've always got wind. The rarely do you have a boat sitting still. You've always got waves, current, and that fly line's gonna move around and no matter where you put it, it's not gonna stay there. Right. Unless you've got someone, you know, if you're up there moving around your feet, you're gonna be stepping on on your line nothing worse than having a great shot at a fish and all of a sudden you're stepping on it or even worse your partner's stepping oh, on it and yeah. i've had that i had one guy as soon as the guy saw a fish where 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 he stands up Stand starts up, looking yeah. for the fish that's not his job he can't see them anyway he's down in the boat his job is to keep his eyes on the fly line until you have the fish on the reel not hooked but all the slack gone everything's back on the reel because it, there's so many things that that fly line can catch on get wrapped around he wants to keep it free especially tarpon fishing uh, it's just i've seen it so many times you finally get a shot 
and some days they are few and far between. You've come a long way. You spent a lot of money to get this shot, and your your fly line's tangled up. That's that that's heartbreaking. You making a bad cast is one thing, but when you get everything just right and something like that that could have easily been prevented, you're not ha- you're not a happy camper. <laughs> right. So you need to if this is somebody you haven't fished with a lot, you need to sit down and you have a conversation before you ever get on the boat and say here's here's what I expect to do for you, and I would appreciate you doing the same. For me, we'll both be better off. We'll have a more success. We'll have a better day if we do this. And don't be afraid to remind him during the day you're not doing your job. Uh, it's better to do that than to miss these fish. You know, you don't have to be rude about it. But, you know, if I'm not doing it, I need somebody to tell me what I'm not doing, you know, or what can I do better to help you. But you can't sit there and just look around and admire the scenery right. while your partner's up there looking for the fish. You're, this is serious. This is high-stakes fishing. Having that discussion before you ever get on the boat going through here my expectations for for you and here should be your expectations of me having that before you ever get on the boat it's a little bit easier than trying to have that discussion while while the fly line's stuck under the cooler oh you can save a friendship yeah, you really. can. Honestly, that's like I say, it's a whole lot easier to tie your uh, leaders up sitting in your uh, room at night than it is when you're sitting out there on a rocking boat trying to tie blood knots <laughs> in a 60-pound <laughs> hard mono, you know. <laughs> I'm telling uh, you, you don't, want to have to, you don't want to have to do that out there. You want to do that. That's part of the preparation. This is just another piece of the preparation that, that goes into doing this. We could sit here and talk all night long about what you need to do to prepare. We can touch on a few of the things, but uh, it's everything. You don't want to get out there and start working on your cast while you're trying to find a tarpon. That's not the time. You better have that damn pat before you ever get on the boat. So what about the guides? Are there any guide rules here? Are there anything that the guides have told you that, hey, I just don't like that when somebody does that, whatever that is? Well, the guide job to me is to tell you what you're supposed to be doing because especially for first-time people right. on this trip, you don't know. You don't have a clue. You can read all the books you want to, but every guide is different about how they fish and what he expects from you. And you need to be honest with the guide. You need to have a conversation with him right off the bat. Here's my level. I'm a intermediate. I can cast 50, 60 feet, and that's about it. If you can cast 80 feet, honestly, let him know. I can tell you that an 80-foot cast in your backyard turns into about a 50- or 60-foot cast out there in the wind. And it sure does, fishing. doesn't it? Yeah, and <laughs> tell him, I want to know, you know, when something goes wrong, let me know what I did so I won't try not to do it again. Don't just you know, say, well, you know, I've heard God, well, good shot, good shot, good yeah. shot. And it's like they got a little recording in their watch. Right. Good shot. No, it's not. No. I mean, right. If it had been a good shot, the tarpon would have eaten it. <laughs> we'd, <laughs> we'd be fighting fish right now instead of, right. <laughs> you instead of trying to, pass, instead of, you're trying to <laughs> keep them hurting my feelings. This is serious business. Not that all fishing isn't serious. I've done not every kind of fishing, but I've fished for a lot of different species. And this takes more preparation and skill than anything else I've ever, ever tried to fish for. Yeah. Because it's all sight fishing. You don't just cast. If you're blind casting, your heart's not beating fast. You don't have a specific target. Yeah, you don't know where you're no. You're not to trying to fast. hit a dinner plate 80 feet away. You're just casting usually as far as you can, stripping yeah. it back in, you know. But this is not that way. You've got to cast a specific distance. You can't cast it too far and you can't cast it too short. You can't cast it too close. Or too, I mean, there's an area that you've got to hit a moving target. The, the tarpon are not sitting still. They're moving. You've got to be on mark if you're going to be successful. I, that was that was one thing that I think that for David, and I'm surely to goodness there's somebody out there with the same issue, was for two or three hours in the morning, 
I couldn't see them until they were till the sun. Yeah, and where the guide could see them, and he'd say, "All right, they're sixty feet." So we had to figure out what my sixty feet and his sixty feet were, because it's a little bit different for him than it was for me. Right. Actually, his sixty feet was about fifty for me, and well, that could be ten foot in the boat too. You know, that's another thing. When you first get on there, where is your ten o'clock? Right. Where's your 12 o'clock? Tell him, I'm going to make a 50-foot cast, and what does that look like to you, you know? So he'll he'll adjust where he tells you to cast, 9 o'clock, 60 feet, let it sit, drip, listen to what he says, because he's, he's four feet higher than you are. Right. He's got an angle on him. He can see. And besides that... He can see. <laughs> right, right. We're That's, down here. We don't. We can't. We can't see them. I'm not even sure if I was up there half the time if I could really see them like they. It can. makes a difference. Yeah. I'll tell you. I've done enough. Uh, I had. I've had a couple of flats boats, and it makes a. It makes a difference because I've had guides that say, "Can't you see that? Can't you see that?" No, I'm not up there where you are. No, I can't see her. I'd be casting at it. Besides that, my eyes aren't that good. <laughs> right. You know. And I think but, that's I think that was part of my problem is number one, being able to see. I couldn't he's, he was all of my guys I think have been younger than me, which doesn't say much. That was one thing. They could see better. But two, I had to figure out what I was looking at. You know, how far deep into the water do I need to be looking and all those sorts of things come into play. And it takes a little bit. You've got to see a few fish to go, okay, that's a fish. And it's moving this way about this speed. You know, your your eyes start adjusting. You start seeing a whole lot more as the day goes on. In my case, I got to where I could see fish pretty good at a certain depth. The deeper it got, the harder it was for, for me to see them. I couldn't. I couldn't, and I couldn't tell. I saw one. I couldn't tell where the head and where the tail. They looked like yeah. a big log down there, you know. Right. So he's got to tell you where to cast and and that sort of thing. So you got to you got to listen to that guide and be on the same page as far as direction and distance and that. And that's another thing you want to get straight. You don't want to miss three or four good fish before you just figure out he doesn't know how far you think fifty feet is. Right. So it's not a bad idea to mark it out on your fly line and say this is fifty feet for me and know where it is. Well, and then you can adjust to there. This is personal preference for me, but I think it's everybody should do it. This, you need to mark the head on your fly line. Most of the modern fly lines change colors now, right? And you can tell, but you still take a sharpie or something and put about a foot long black mark where the head of that fly line is. Yeah, that's where you want to cast. Unless you're an expert caster, you can get more than the head out. That is your best shot. You can take 35, 40 feet, 38 or 40 feet, usually what the head on the saltwater line is. And you've got that just at the tip of your rod. Uh, you can shoot 30 feet of line with that easy. So have 30 feet out. You want the all the you want all the, the fly head. line out of the reel that right. you can possibly cast. You don't if you can cast 90 feet, you want 90 feet of line laying out. Right. You don't want to have to start pulling line off because you got a lot fish a long yeah, way away. Right. Especially picking up to make a second cast, mm-hmm. which you'll do a lot. Mm-hmm. You'll see that head when you get that head gets there. And another thing, you want your rod tip right at the water, right. down. You don't want it up here in the air because you've lost a lot of your stroke length trying to start up here. you got that rod tip down there. It's going to start loading as soon as you start to pick it up because the resistance on the water is going to water load that line. And you can pull that thing out, one back cast, and fire back at the fish because they've been moving. You don't have time to make three or four back casts. No. That fish is already, you you forget it once he gets beside you. He's that's not the going. words I hate well, to hear. Well, that's not, I mean, there's always the odd fish sometime will. Well, yeah. But I'm talking about 95% of the time. Mark that fly line so you know where the head is. With that, you can make any cast you want to with that much 
just that much fly line out. You don't need more than that. Now, you're not going to be casting 90 to 100 feet no. at a tarpon. One thing, you probably couldn't get the hook set. Right. To a fly line stretch, you never, but that's a perfect place to put it. But you always want your rod tip pointed down at the water. And when you're stripping that fly in to hook that fish, you don't want any bend in that rod at right. all. That's the next best, next easiest way to lose a fish is to do a trout set on it. And you know that and, as well. And most of the people that do the traveling trips to florida or wherever i would i would i would have to think that there's a majority of people that are trout fishermen oh and, god and we've been taught our it's, whole life oh it's a hard habit to break. Up. it's right. a hard habit to break you've got and I've, I've done everybody's everybody's done it you know yeah but you've got to keep that rod pointed straight and do a strip set hard strip set and then you can pull your rod to the side a little bit and bump it but if you do a trout set you're going to lose that fish almost every time because that hook's going to turn. There's no, you don't have any pressure. Right. When you got the rod bent, there's no pressure on the on the fish. When we're doing streamer floats during, basically during the winter, we'll go tune up on on a skipjack. Uh huh. And and I do it too, and especially toward the first of the winter, whenever they first get there, we'll go tune up on those, and and I say keep your rod tip down. Don't don't set the hook. Just keep stripping. Yeah. Until you feel it, and you'll feel the, you know, you'll feel the the head turn. Oh yeah. As soon as they feel the poke, they'll turn. It, but keep your head down, and it it takes a long time to get out of that. So when you're and when you're fishing for skipjack, I mean, you may catch five and five casts, but when you're fishing for tarpon, yeah. you might get two shots a day. Right. So right. It's, it's just I don't think it's we like you said we've all done it. So I wouldn't feel bad about it. Just you know, how do you keep yourself from doing that? It's a it's there's you've a lot going make on a when you see conscious one. effort. Uh, you've got to think about what you're doing there. You've got to forget about that fish and think about what am I doing here? What right. Am I doing? And that's another thing. When you're casting that fish, I had a friend that had a hard time bone fishing. He was a good caster, but fish would show up. And he, I said, <laughs> you got to forget about that fish. We're in the backyard. you got a spot out here you're trying to hit. Think about cast into that spot and forget about that fish and he leveled out and you've got to get over that you start staring at the fish you're going to hit him right in the head oh yeah with a fly (laughs) (laughs) you know that's game over so uh, and another thing people don't think about is the sharpness of their hooks you keep a hook sharpener i keep one around my neck always and you sharp you keep that hook if you don't You'll never get it sitting. That tarpon's mouth is so hard, and you can check it by running it across your yeah, thumbnail. Yeah. And if it doesn't catch, you take that thing and touch it up. There's all kinds of information on how to do that. We won't get into that, but you keep your hook sharp. And while we're talking about hooks, I got another friend on the front of the boat. When he sees a fish, the first thing he does is drop his fly and start casting. I can't get him to not do get that. Him to stop doing that. But you, you pull that fly out of your hand with a cast you hold that fly as long as you hold that fly your line will never get tangled i don't care how much rod you've got out of the end how much line you've got out of the tip of your rod if you hold that fly to the last thing you'll never get tangled you let that fly go it's going to tangle in your line it's going to catch on the boat it's and gonna, again there's it's going to go bang on the boat right that'll be the first thing it does right. then then it's it's over that right. fish is going to turn yeah it's going to hear that yeah absolutely so tell us how how you hold that fly because there's a there's a way to do that and you not, hold the fly not stick by it the, in your by finger. the bend bend of the hook barb and the tip point away from you just with between your th- thumb and forefinger you hold that right there and when you get ready to make a cast of course there's all kinds of information on how to make a quick cast and what you have to do i keep about 
25 feet of line outside my rod tip and catch half of it with my rod hand and hold the leader in the other. That way it doesn't get tangled up. The wind may blow it, but as long as you've got that fly, hold of that fly, it won't tangle. So when you see a fish, you let the leader and the fly line go, the wind, and take your rod, bring, bring it around, and it'll pull. You'll feel the tug, and it'll pull that fly out of your hand. It's up in the flies in the air, and you're ready to make a back cast and a presentation with no more than one more false cast because if you stand there and keep false casting that fish is he's moving five or ten feet every second just about if you don't catch him at a at the right angle it's not going to work so i want to go back and talk about that in your right hand if you're if you're we're just going to say david's hand is his dominant hand Uh is his right hand in that i have a fly rod i have some line out i have that line looped back under my middle finger right in that left hand i have the fly, holding it by the hook, uh-huh. holding it between my index finger and uh-huh. my thumb. And then I've got some of the leader under I my kept, middle finger. I catch the leader right at the leader knot. Yeah. So okay. I've got a it's loop. Perfect. i got a 10-foot loop there with a leader and about 10 feet of fly line out here. And then I've got another 10 feet of fly line I've caught with this hand. Mm-hmm. So you've got 10, 20, 30. And then what you've got on, you've got almost a 40-foot cast ready. right there, ready right. to go. So, so, when, so the, when you see the fish, you drop the line out of your you right let, hand. You let the line go out of your rod hand. Yep. You let the leader go. By the fly. And at the same time, you bring your rod around. Whichever. Now, be aware of which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. So that's you good. want to take with the wind. <laughs> if you don't, then you, then it's going to come back in your yeah. face. So you got to be aware which way you want to go. So you let that go. Bring your rod around. It'll pull. You'll feel the tug. You'll feel it. And off you go. As soon as you feel the first little bit of tug in that fly between your index finger and your thumb, yeah. You let go of it and it's in the air. It doesn't it can't right. go to the it can't go to the deck. Can't. It's it's being it has to go. It's being aerialized right. at that point. So I think uh, that's good information right there. That that and being able to make a back cast presentation. If you don't <laughs> if you're not able to do that, you're gonna miss half your shots. Because when the wind's blowing and the fish are coming to the side where the wind is, you can't do it. There's it's really just no impossible. Angle. There's no angle. So you've got to turn around and make it. And it's not that hard. It takes practice. And there again, we're getting into the casting aspect of this, but you can't practice too much. And you got to practice with a purpose. Just standing out there and false casting and, oh, I got this, you know. You put you a plate or something out there, a target right. that you can hit, and you practice letting go the quick cast getting it paralyzed, getting that fly in one or no more than two back casts to that target. That's practice. Just out there false casting, seeing how far you can cast, it's not going to serve you very well once you get on the boat trying to trying to hit a target. And if you, that target. if you can practice in the wind better and oh gosh, learn how to double haul Absolutely. before you ever leave the You've house. Got to be able to double haul. Got to yeah. be able to double haul to get the. You don't need a big long haul. That's a, that's a misconception. I've seen these guys try to stretch arms. Oh yeah, far they can do it. Two foot haul. What you're trying to do is keep slack out of the line, keep tension on the rod to bend that rod, and it doesn't take a four foot haul to do that. You want tension on your rod at all times in the back cast people think they can just get the fly line behind them you need a back cast needs to mirror the forward cast that loop needs to be just as tight on the back cast as it does on the forward cast because if you don't then you've got to make up all that slack before you ever get your rod to load and you're going to have a tough time especially fighting the wind if you don't have a good tight back cast so that rod's ready to load as soon as you start forward you're going to have a rough day We've been doing a little bit of coaching with people all all over the South and some some outside the South, but that that listen to the podcast and and some of it has been on, well, hey, how where who would you go to and or what should I do about my casting? 
and I'll just tell them, well, well, set up your iPhone, make three or four casts, walk over there, have your have your bride or your, your significant other, whatever, mm-hmm. video you and take a look at it. If you don't know what you're looking at, send it to me, and then we'll just talk about it. Right. I'm not an, an FFF instructor or anything well, like that. that you but, don't have to be that to, to be a good caster or realize Look at a cast and see what they're doing wrong. Yeah, it's easy to tell other people what they're doing wrong. It's hard to cure it yourself. When you've got a fly line that's not doing what you want, your loop's too big, it's going this way, it's going that way, the fly line will tell you what you're doing wrong because whatever that fly line is doing is what your hand's doing. So if it's turning to the left, then you're moving your hand around. You're not moving it on a straight. Fly casting is a simple, on a straight line path. And if you're off that, then that's where the fly line's going to go. If you're making a big overhand <laughs> cast like that, and people get, they see these guys on TV and with this big, with their arm oh, stretched yeah. back. That is so counterproductive to me when you're fishing. Now, you know, if you're in a, a distance casting competition, I'm sure it's helpful. But in a ca- in a fishing situation where you've got a limited amount of time to make a cast, further back you put your arm, the harder it is to keep it on a straight True. path. You think about it. You're just not made that way. You're going to turn yeah, to try right. to get back, and there goes there it goes. My good friend Tom White, the guy that I talked about that was so good, he would take students and take their right arm out of their shirt and put it down inside their shirt uh-huh. and hold it and make them cast. You can use this, but you've got a anchor here mm-hmm. that you don't have this big, long lever working against your shoulder and if you've had two rotator cuff operations <laughs> like i have you don't you're not going to do that all day with a 12 weight rod i'm going to tell you because those rods are heavy the lines are heavy and they're tough to do that you're in a street fight situation i right. should say you know you don't see a boxer with a big windmill type punch they come from in here and that's where your power comes from and all you're trying to do is bend that rod you can start and run from here to the my house over here and you're only going to bend it so much it, you can bend that rod in a short amount of time if you have the slack out and you have tension on the rod that's that's what you want to work on i like to say those rods cost about you know anywhere from well nowadays anywhere from 600 to 1200 dollars. make it do the work try not to oh, absolutely. try not to work that's what to they're death. made these modern rods are made they're fast action and again and the stop uh, i heard you talk about that with the guy from moonshine rods about Mm. how important the stop is on your cast it is everything you can have the best stroke and the rod bent and if you don't make that perfect stop you got nothing it's just going to collapse on you so that's and it's just as important on the back cast as it is on the forward cast you see these golfers it's so much like golf golfer gets out of position on his back cast he's got to compensate on the way down he's going to have a hard time doing making the golf ball do what he wants to do if he's out of position it's the same way same way with the fly rod. There's so many parallels there between a fly cast and a golf swing. Oh, that- absolutely. Timing. Timing is, is everything. It, it really is. If you get your timing down, it doesn't take brute strength to no, do this. No. You know, although I will say when you start getting into like the heavier 10, 11, 12 weight rods, now they're, they're heavy. And you have to have a pretty good form to make those work or you're going you're gonna to have a sore arm at the end of the day. So we've, we've been through preparation. We've been through flies, how to hold your flies. We've been through having good eyesight, being able to see fish. Now, I'm going to switch gears just a minute here. John and Dan both ask this question, and there are several other folks that have asked this to me directly as well. How could an experienced angler do a non-guided tarpon trip and see some success? Okay, well, the first thing he'd have to do is go see his banker and borrow about $60,000 to get a flashbow. 
<laughs> that'd be a prerequisite to any kind of success. <laughs> Helpful. So, right. Yeah, yeah. right. So uh, it's doing self-guided. Uh, if you have not been tarpon fishing, you're talking about somebody just flat-footed going out and saying, I want to go catch tarpon, but. Just comes off a lake, just comes off a tailwater and says, I'm going to the bay or. It's, uh, I don't know of any place down there that'll rent you a flats boat. You could get by with something else. If you want to go to Bay of Honda, drop in right there at the bridge. Sooner or later, tarpon going to come through there. They right. do every day because that's when the tide and the bait, that's where all the bait comes and everything else. Especially during the worm hatch. That's where the worm hatch, big biggest part of the worm hatch comes off. Come off, there's a coral, big coral bank right there. And those worms are embedded in that coral. And half of them break off, and it happens without going tide late in the day. Tarpon come through there all the time. 90% of the time, all I throw is a worm pattern because it's small, it's easy to throw, and they are always, always looking for worms. Worms must taste good. Well, they're little bitty, little bitty things. They must, but they come out of there by the millions. You'll be sitting there, and everything will be calm, and all of a sudden you'll see a little wiggle, and then you'll see three or four more, and then you just see thousands of them, and all of a sudden then you see the tarpon uh-huh. going crazy. If people know it's happening, or if it's happened the day before, there'll be 50 boats out there. Now, I've gotten there ahead of time and been there when it just, just happened to be, just came off. There weren't maybe one or two more boats hanging out. We fished there one night. And it was scary. They, they said, stay in the middle of the boat. Don't don't fall in this water at night. You won't get back in. So it's full of sharks. So that's the reason I hate. If you hook a tarpon and fight it long, sharks going sharks gonna to eat it. Let's bring it back up maybe to, say, from Panama City, sort of around the curve, down through Big Bend. There is a uh, place know. there on... Uh, out around Apalachicola that has some passes that uh-huh. you could fish from the beach and have some success. Knowing knowing when the tarpon are going to come through, you don't stand there all day long staring off into dead water waiting for that window when the tide's right and everything else. My suggestion, of course, is if you think you want to go tarpon fishing on your own, go down there and hire a guide. Go out with him and make notes. I'm, every time I go fishing, when I come back at the end of the day, I've got a notebook where I, we saw fish, what time of day, what the tide was, where the wind was, what's the moon, all the information that you sooner soon you start seeing a pattern where these fish are. And if you're serious about it, then, you know, you don't have to have a $60,000 flat boat, but you need something that you can get around in. Uh, I've seen people out there in John boats. In the backcountry, yeah. you know, you don't want to get out oceanside in one of those things. But uh, problem, those things, they're noisy. You move around, they make a oh, lot of noise. Yeah. You know, flash boats are made to be quiet in the water. But you could get a map and mark those spots and take notes and. But let the guide know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. let him. You know, tell him don't don't do that. Don't try to get a GPS and hide it and mark yeah. these spots. Don't don't do him that way. Be honest with him and say, you know, and if if that's that bothers you tell me and we you know yeah i'll try somebody else right you know but uh if i was fishing down there and a guide came up with a client that i knew i pulled up moved on right. he's trying to make a living i'm out there to have fun and they know that they'll share information with you if you if you get to that point where you're doing it but just going out there the first time uh flat-footed it's it's tough but uh early in the morning late in the evening i've seen people have success but you're gonna you're not gonna land that fish so be prepared to have some fun and break him off and let him go. 
when the uh, dead tide, when it's slack, go eat your lunch. They're not going. They're not going to move around. They don't move. So they're moving up the up the channels, up the I like to call them their highways, moving in in and out of the inlets, moving up the channels, the moving under bridges. Right. As long as the water's moving, right. they're moving. Right. The thing is, though, about tarpon fishing is they're not looking for anything to eat. Those tarpon feed mostly at night. Right. So you've got to entice that fish. That's why the casting is so important. If you don't put that fly in the right spot, you're not. he's not interested. He's not going to turn around and chase something because he's not looking for food. He's irritated more than anything probably you know and but if it's something looks neat and he doesn't have to go to a lot of trouble he'll he'll eat it if he's in the mood to or she is whatever the case may be but there's some there's a lot of places you can drive to and get out and have a chance at them I, like i said i don't know of any place down there's going to rent you a small boat now you've got marinas that'll rent you a big boat to go oceanside right because you can get out there and run around you're not going to chances running into something <laughs> not. but you get in the back country you better know where you're going take a gps if you get out and get back there because as soon as you turn around, everything looks just like you can get disoriented quick. The last thing you want to say is that the direction we came yeah. from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not that's not a good feeling. No. I'm just asking one last question here. What question did we not ask that would be helpful for a tarpon angler? Preparation is everything in this sport. To me, tarpon fishing is a different sport altogether i love every kind of i love trout fishing i love every kind but this is a this is a different sport i'm not saying it's more difficult i think it's extremely more difficult although you know trying to catch a big wild trout in a stream montana that's not the easiest thing in the world either but this takes a lot more casting skill and you're dealing with big probably equipment that you're not accustomed to either go borrow a rod from somebody that you know or whatever, or if you want to, you know, you can get a starter outfit, work with that. And if you're having trouble, like you said, film it, send it to somebody, go find an instructor, somebody to help you, give you some pointers to get you off on the right foot and have that down before you even attempt. Because if you don't, you're just, you're wasting a lot of money. You know, you're going to end up with a pretty expensive boat ride at the end of the day. If you decide to book a guide, you need to start months in advance because these good guides book up fast for prime times and the end of february through middle of june is prime time with the best being the months of april and may when the migration comes through and i'm talking specifically about the lower keys because that's that's what i know i don't know i know up around apalachicola they say the new moon in june (laughs) <laughs> that's when you want. That's when the fish are coming up, which gets hot, and they start coming around the, uh, the big, big bend, bend area up yeah. there. That so later in the year is where you want to. Is when you want to go there. But call the local fly shop or talk to the local fly shop. Something the fly shops around here they've got a ton of information. But get on the internet. They're willing to share information and find out who they recommend, call the guy, talk to them, tell them what your level is, what you'd like to do, and when see when he has openings and. And get everything straight on the front end because some of these guys, they expect you to bring their lunch. Funny, down the Keys is different. You you furnish the lunch. They'll have you some water, maybe a Gatorade, <laughs> but you're going to bring the food. Find out if they furnish leaders, flies, what you need to bring, what's expected of you, and what, what they furnish. Get all that straight because if you have to have uh, leaders, you need to get those. Don't buy factory tapered leaders. Make, make your own leaders out of hard mono and fluorocarbon not a there's all kinds of info on the internet about how to do that it's not a hard process but all that again that goes into preparation you don't want to be sitting on the front of the boat trying to tie up those things 
you know, and if you need to, if you need to furnish your own flies, talk to the fly shops down there. What if you're going to do? If you're going to tie them up, know in advance what you need to have, what you need to bring. Tarpon flies normally aren't that complicated. They're not like trying to tie up a Royal Wolf or a Hendrickson or any uh, trout flies. Have have what you need when you get there. Don't be fumbling around, wasting precious time, making up something you could have done in advance. We've covered everything other than getting out in the yard and doing some testing, you know. There's there's a thousand more things we could talk about. But when you hook a, like for instance, when you hook a tarpon and he starts peeling offline, the first thing you want to do is jam your fly rod into your chest. That's keep the fly line from, I don't know how many times I've seen it jumping around the back of your butt in or fighting butt of your rod and once it comes tight you're not getting it off fish is going to break off and it's gone you need to hold your fly line out to the side in with a loop in your finger so if you've got any tangles in it you get it shake it loose before it gets out and takes the tip of your rod off like it did (laughs) (laughs) in chase trying to chase it down and if you happen to lose the fish then you could lose the tip of your rod right you know and there you are because most people are not going to have three or four spare rods with them those things are pretty expensive. Yeah. So, but that's another thing. If you can have a spare everything, spare reel, spare line, because you know it's not uncommon to break a fly line or tarpon runs around a bridge, runs around a coral head, boom, ruined that fly line. It doesn't. It doesn't take much to ruin one, and then there you are. If you don't have a spare, your trips for that day's over anyway. Till you can get to a fly shop, and depending on where you are, a uh, fly shop. Well, if you're in the Keys, you can always get to a. You can always get to a fly shop. But still, it takes time out of your day. Oh, you, you could just run a whole day. A guy down there typically is going to run you set around seven hundred dollars a day. Some are a little bit more. Some are a little bit less, but they all expect a pretty good tip, you know, usually in the $100 range. You're not talking about a cheap day, not to me anyway. Accommodations in that part of the Keys are scarce. Key West has a lot of hotels. Talk to your guide. Some of them have accommodations there. I know Bruce, he's got a house there with a room that he rents, so you can stay right there. Right. You walk down the steps, get in the boat, and go fishing. Uh, otherwise, you may be driving from Key West 20, 30 miles in the morning, to meet your guide or coming down from Big Pine or maybe even Marathon. And that's a long, that's a lot of your day. A long day. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. So be sure and check on where you're going to stay. There's a couple of little places there you can get on the internet and find those. Airbnb that I know there was a place that had a bunch of mobile homes that they rented out, but the big hurricane a few years ago took those. They're gone. They're called Venture Out. And (laughs) everybody had so many old people there, they called it Denture Out. <laughs> but it was it was a great it was a great fly. I mean, it was a nice double wide. What the heck, you know? You're there to fish, you know. I just need something clean. Uh, absolutely, I yeah. need a bed and you know, yeah. refrigerator and and of course there's a lot of really good restaurants yeah. around there. So all that goes into the preparation. You need to think about that. Where there's you're going to stay? So much work before you ever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to work when you want, you're there to enjoy the fishing. You want to have yeah. that. You don't want your mind cluttered with all these things. But practice your casting and be able to make a back back cast presentation and be able to hit those. If you can't, uh, uh, if you can hit a target at 50 feet, is a whole lot better than casting 80 feet out there somewhere 20 feet wide of the fish. The one thing that I always hate to hear is pick it up and go left. Pick it up and go left, or pick it up and go right. So that means, all right, I just totally missed the fish. <laughs> yeah, right. Or didn't I didn't see the fish start with? Yeah, you know? I, yeah. Early in the <laughs> early in the trip, I probably didn't. I'm just it's like fishing with braille. Right. I like. I had a guy that I had a hard time with, not down there, but he would he want to give you uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, I got a fish at forty feet, 
uh, what is it behind us right. or where? I said, give me the direction first so I know where to start looking. I don't have to span 40 feet yeah. all the way around the uh, clock face. So if the guy's not telling you what you understand or what helps you, explain to him. Said, you know, give me the direction. Give me the direction of the fish. I got a fish at 11 o'clock. You immediately look that way, 50 feet, that Cuts down on the time it takes you to spot that fish. And time is of the essence when you're doing this. You don't have all day to locate it and make a cast. It's not sitting in a stream right. in one spot. These fish are moving all the time. You've got a small window to get this done. So anything you can do to cut that down is, is a big help. Time is just your enemy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because then, then you think, well, I don't have any time. So then you rush. And you when rush. you rush, then you start rushing your cast right. and you don't wait for it to, you know, don't wait for it to roll. And you've got to push that cast. You've got to fire it. Line speed, high line speed cuts down on what the wind will do to it and Short cuts down on the time it takes. So you, uh, that don't, doesn't mean a jerky cast. You do it the same. You start, but you push on it and make a fast stop and get that line, learn to get a high line speed on, on your cast. I think I learned a ton just sitting here listening. <laughs> well, I, I don't do. know if I learned it. I'm probably more confusion than anything. No, I don't, I don't think so. Cause what I wanted to do was get into some of the basics. Uh, we did that. We, we, we gave a little bit of preparation, a lot of preparation. We hit on the importance of knowing, knowing how far you can cast, understanding that, you can lie all day long, but that guy is going to know when you oh, make your first cast that you yeah. look full of crap. He's going to know in 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell as soon as somebody starts about false cast whether you're going to have a, a good day or if it, or somebody needs some coaching. Yeah. And if somebody needs some coaching, a good guy will be able to coach them and coach them up. And by the end of the day, you'll be better with a good guy. Oh, you'll absolutely. You'll be much better. Oh, you're going to learn. And that's that's part of what you're paying for yeah. is, is a, a learning experience. If you don't learn something, you didn't get your money's worth. Right. Either his fault or your fault, or still you you want to and write this stuff down when you get back. Keep a log of what you learned that day, whether it's casting or whether the fish were, or what time of day or what the tide was doing. That's all that information. Next time, that's that much less you've got to contemplate. You're silly not to do that. Uh, but I keep a log. I write every day when I go fishing. I learn something. Yeah, I don't think I've been out of, in, on any body of water that I haven't figured something out. Right. I had a guy one time say something about, well, you can't, you can't. I said, listen, buddy, I didn't do this one week a year. I said, you come up to Tennessee and uh, try to do what I do and see how successful you are, you know. Not, well, he'd probably be more successful than I was. But, <laughs> but, Maybe. You know, but, you know, be, re- be realistic about your expectations. You're not going to be a pro the first time out. You'll get better each time that you go, and it takes time on the water to get to see the fish, understand how fast they're moving, how far you want to cast. And that, that's another thing. Generally, I use a 10-foot leader because I can turn a 10-foot leader over. Maybe a 20-foot one would be, but I can't. I, no. The wind, I use stiff, hard mono. And you want to cast that fish 10 feet in front of him and 10 feet past him. That's a good rule of thumb. Okay. So the tip of your fly line is kind of out 10 feet in front of his nose and so as the fish is coming you start stripping that thing you want that fly he you want him to see it with both eyes comes by one side running away from him yeah on an angle yeah on an angle right and that's going to be your best shot if you throw it just right in front of him well by the time you start stripping you've already pulled it out of his cone of vision there bruce always told me that that's a rule of thumb 10 feet past 10 feet in front and as soon as you that fly hits the water you get your slack out. Yeah, Don't wait. Long strip. Don't wait. Get your slack out. And 
you must be aware what direction the boat's moving. That's another thing people don't think about. If you're not anchored off, that boat's going to be moving one way or the other. If it's moving towards the fish, then you've got to strip fast to get the fly to move. It takes a while to get that through your head. If the boat's drifting away, you slow it down. Sometimes you don't strip it off. to do anything. Yeah, but that's, uh, it's kind of like play baseball. If the ball comes to me, where am I going to throw it? What, there's a guy on first, a guy on third, am I going to do whatever? Have those things in your mind. The wind's coming this way. The wind's, the fish comes over here, I'm going to have to make a back cast and put it there. If the fish is over here, I'm going to have to do this. Have those things in your mind. Don't have to try to figure that out after you see the fish. Not every point on the clock, but know if it's coming to the right, I need to I need to make a back cast over here so far. And if it's coming from the left, I, I can do this. But know, have some idea of what you're going to do when the fish shows up. You need to generally know what you're going to do with the, with changing conditions. And I'll go back to because time is an enemy. You need to have some idea of if this happens, I'm going to do this. And if this happens, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. And 10 minutes later, it could be if this happens, I'm going to do that. And if this happens, I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah, because I, I know the, the, the wind's blowing this way, so I've got to allow. Right. It's like wing shooting. You got to allow for windage. Right. The fly line that's only it's going to blow that fly line, and the boat's moving. Usually, you're drifting forward. If you're drifting back, he can put the push pole down and hold, generally hold the boat. After you cast and start stripping, he's probably going to take that push pole out of the water. You don't want that that heart that bottom down there is coral. Right. And at least if you scrape that that fish, <laughs> that yeah, that fish don't like that either. No, no. Yeah. You think the fly taking the wa- the deck's a big deal? Right. Yeah. Then that goes for redfish too. If you set the pole down on an oyster oh, or something yeah. like that, it's yeah, that, it's over. That that sound travels in that water. It, it, it sure does. It makes a like bone fishing there. Yeah. They're, Same thing. Oh Lord. <laughs> well, I think let's wrap this thing up. I sure appreciate you taking your time to do this. Oh, it's, it's been a this has been a pleasure. I uh, really enjoyed enjoyed getting to see you again. Yeah. And hope it's not 10 more years before we can get together. I hope it is. I hope you're right. <laughs> uh, well, if you're thinking about or you have a friend who's thinking about tarping on the fly, hopefully this hopefully this episode will help. Uh, like I said, Don, I learned a ton of stuff just sitting here listening, and it's like triggering some of the things. I can think back of a couple of things that I wish I would have done different on each one of the trips I've been oh. on. Fortunately, I've been with really good guides yeah. that wanted me to catch one. Honestly, most of the times the conditions just weren't great. Right. And that's a big deal. I mean, you go, you run down to, you run down to the panhandle, you know, maybe for a day or two and you just, you get what you get, you know, you plan ahead. Right. The weather is what the weather is. And if it's not great, you, you know, you just try to spend some time drinking a beer on the beach. Go go eat some oysters. Yeah. Right. uh, (laughs) Right. Well, those, a good guide wants you to catch a fish as much as you want to catch a fish. Yeah. Every bit. Because they, they love the fishing and they love that and they they want you to be they want you to be successful not simply for the reason well if he catches a fish he'll be back no that's secondary i'm sure you know they they, they'd love to have return customers don't get me wrong but they get excited just like you do they want you to do good he's working his tail off for you and when you show up unprepared that's that's not fair that's not fair to the guide you know it's just not so like i said there we can sit here and talk all night about what kind of clothing's best to wear and all that kind of stuff there's all kinds of books and stuff you can you can find all that get as much information as you can from as many sources as you can talk to people that have been give them a call any anyone that's done this is uh, everyone i've ever talked to is more than happy to share their information with you
Well, if you found value in this podcast, in the spirit of value for value, please check out the merch at southeasternfly.com forward slash store. That's this, uh, this site's what supports the podcast. Thanks to the folks again, who have already shown their support through their purchases. Please subscribe to the podcast. I think that's a big deal. You'll be one of the first ones to know whenever a new episode is out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don, again, thanks for letting us come out and, and uh, sit in the rod shop and, and talk about fishing, which we always love to do. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Southeastern Fly. and See you next time. <laughs>